gun Ramos looking like he's got one more good run Sips a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers. Remember, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. This week, I have a special guest. I have my wife. Kate Fuller is here, and we are going to talk about what it was like meeting myself and the dogs and the world we live in. And we'll go into a little bit of depth on being part of the TV show, as well as, more importantly, the dogs and helping build the kennel to where it is today, which our kennel is Soggy Acres Retrievers. So I do appreciate everyone stopping in to give us a listen. And from here, I guess my question would be to my lovely wife, Kate, what was your first impression of me and my world when you met me? Now, odd. I don't think there's any way to look at the word odd as a compliment. That was uh, my attempt at being nice and polite and a way of saying different. I guess that's another word for different. So just for the record, everyone, <laughs> if you are odd, according to my wife, that is a good thing. Yeah, it was, it was just that you were, you were different having the breeding business being a full-time breeder and then having the television show is very different than um, dating someone or becoming part of a family with a partner that just has like a nine to five kind of job. It's very different. What people don't understand is what goes into having an outdoor TV show and hunting TV. You actually pay for everything, including your airtime, including all of your production. You have to raise that through sponsorships. I still remember Kate does accounting. After she looked at my books the first time, she came to me and what did you say? The show has to go. (laughs) Because of the amount of work that goes into the TV show, she looked at it and she's like, honey, this just doesn't work. It is it is not worth doing. Financially, it didn't seem to make any sense. There's such an upfront investment in cameras and gear and everything like that. And then your annual costs, the money you have to raise to cover your budget or your airtime and your editor and then your travel, which are the three biggest expenses. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I, I felt like, you know, he worked so hard at the panel. And then here you're you're just soaking all this money into the TV show and you're netting zero and some years you're you've been losing money and it, I just thought it didn't make financial sense, um, but that was in the early stages of the game and um, as the kennel continued to grow because the TV show was marketing the kennel things start to turn around and things start to look better financially of course. So remember I told you to trust my vision, which you thought my vision was all over the map, and it probably <laughs> was. But I told you to trust my vision of the fact that we would have something that would be so unique in the fact that we could showcase our dogs, not only as hunting dogs, but as pets. And that that would allow us to really, I guess, teach people about not only our kennel, but Labrador Retrievers as well, and to see these magnificent animals in the field. But we also did tips on puppies. We followed some litters. We had a lot of unique stuff that we did 
as opposed to the other shows that were on the market. It was by no means just a hunting show, which is pretty much what everybody else did. It was something different. Um, yes, it had the different segments. So if maybe you weren't a hunting family or you hunt very little, it also gave you a chance, like you said, to showcase the animals as what a wonderful pet they are. Um, following the litters, we did the welcome to the whelping box segments that I helped with where you could follow a litter through the course of the season of the TV show from birth all the way to the puppies going home. So that was a very family friendly segment that you don't have to hunt to appreciate. Um, we did grooming and veterinary care and all kinds of things with dogs and puppies. And that's very appealing, even if you don't hunt at all. And that was the goal. It was to grow the customer base the TV show was always intended to be a marketing tool for the kennel, and it did a good job of marketing the kennel, not just to hunting families. And it was nine years that we did uh, the show, nine long years. I, it's funny because when we stopped doing the show, people apologized to me. They're like, we're so sorry it's not on anymore. And I'm trying to explain to them, I, you don't realize the work that went into it. We had the TV show, the kennel, training dogs, and toward the end of hunting lodge and I was working between 80 to 100 hours a week and also the travel was something that everyone dreams of going on hunts and I got experiences nobody else in the world unless you're on hunting tv got to go on very blessed to have that but at the same time when you're going on 10 hunting trips a year by about the third one you really don't want to go anymore it took a huge amount of getting used to um, dating you and then being married to you. He was home sometimes six days a month. And this went on from September until the end of February. And then after the end of February, of course, we had the sport show season. So that's very busy as well. So it uh, seems so glamorous, I think, to people. But what they don't realize is, one, it's very little about hunting and all about making a TV show. So your first and foremost job is getting sponsorships so you can cover your huge budget. And second making a show with footage that works to create a good episode. So you're really not there to hunt. You're there to get footage to make a good television show that people will want to watch. So it's not actually enjoyable. Hunting for TV is actually not enjoyable at all. Hunting on your own is, but not for the purpose of creating good footage. So there's that. And then yeah, just being gone all the time, um, being out on the road, it's exhausting. It's not glamorous. You are, you know, sleeping in, very basic accommodations, eating out of gas stations. That's that's pretty much all we ever ate out of was out of gas stations. Um, collecting your receipts, uh, making sure that all the people you need to film an episode are in the same place at the same time. You know, so you're bringing cameramen from different areas of the country and meeting guides. And then if the hunt doesn't work out, maybe he knows another guy that you can drive, you know, 500 miles to because he has birds there. And it's yeah, it's very hard work. It's not glamorous, um, and you have to have a really good business sense and a lot of drive to actually make a go of it. And we did for nine years. We did. We were the top rated wing shooting show. It's funny because all shows claim that, but I actually had the ratings. Uh, we kicked everyone's butts uh, on the sponsor side with the sponsors that we pulled as well as with ratings. We were on 10 networks. Our show is still on, I believe from France through, through Turkey across Europe. Uh, we were on in Russia, New Zealand, Oh my goodness! It was it was quite the uh, quite the experience uh, to have, and you never make a lot of money on the show, but you get to be wealthy in experience and memories, and that's what we took away from it. But now we're to the point where it is 
time to move on and time to slow things down a little bit and just focus on our kennel. And we'll rewind a little bit. I'll ask you this, Kate. What was your impression when you met the dogs and got to become part of the family on that end? The funny thing is the very, very first time I was out here, I actually reached you home when we were coming home from a sports show. And I came in the window and you were like, oh, just go in this or that door. It'll, it'll be open. And I walk in and there's Rommel. And he is, you know, he was young at the time and he was just a beast. He had just this big, strong body and he's this big, intimidating looking dog. And I saw him sitting there like, oh my gosh. So I had my hand on the door handle and I was like ready to run if this dog comes at me. And he sits up and he looks at me and he kind of looks his chops like, and lays back down. Like, you know, you can have the flat screen, just, you know, don't take my bed, don't take my food. So yeah, um, the biggest Thing you learn very quickly is that they're just big lovey babies. They are an animal in the field, whether you're, you know, hunting duck or quail or whatever it is. But when you're at home, they're just big love bugs. Um, all 75 pounds of them want to sit on your lap or lay on you or love on you. You come home from work and they just kind of wander on over and they kind of do their little bossy cow walk and their little leg and they just want love. They're just huge babies. They're just love bugs and not much for watchdogs. Obviously. Yeah, that's that's where it comes down to. They're like that commercial on TV where the, the burglars come into the house and they throw the dog a bone and the dog says, you guys are great. Yeah. That's pretty much what our dogs would be. Uh, they, uh, they would probably bark and, and if anything, they would hide. Uh, but at least they sound scary when they bark. They do. They, they sound scary and they are good for alerting you um, when somebody is showing up on your property or whatever. But yeah, they maybe they could just tell that I love dogs. and Maybe that was it. It was interesting too. You you came in and you thought, "Wow, this is great having puppies. What a what a wonderful job!" And it is very rewarding when you send families home with with what is their dream, uh, whether it's a dream of petting on the couch or riding shotgun on the truck or hunting in the field. But there is so much work that goes into that, and it is, I guess, the best way to describe it would be a labor of love. It is absolutely. Um, people don't realize. I don't think the hours that go into it, um, the effort that goes into it, they think, oh, that's so cool. Maybe someday I'll breed my dog. Uh, yeah, seriously, think of your, first of all, we work seven days a week, 365 days a year. It doesn't matter if it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. It doesn't matter if you're sick, like very sick. Um, the animals have to be fed. They have to be cleaned. You have to offer them medical you know, attention and care. You have to keep an eye on puppies. It's just nonstop. And it's not once or twice a day. Like if you just have a pet dog, it's constantly, you're constantly out there cleaning and checking and this and that. So um, it is a huge labor of love. Um, it's backbreaking work. You are scrubbing walls to keep them sanitized and clean. Dogs are very, very hard on an infrastructure. I don't think people appreciate that when they have one dog, you know, and they put a fence up and they're good for life for the full 40 years they own a home. Um, yeah. When you have a lot of dogs, they just put tons of wear and tear on, you know, crates and troughs and kennel decks. And it's, you're scrubbing bowls, you're scrubbing walls, you're um, hosing things down. It's a lot of very hard work and it can be very rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. We had to go home yesterday for families and that is what makes it all worthwhile. Just seeing their happy faces and hearing the cute names they're going to name their dogs. And yeah, it is absolutely their dream come true. Um, but you have heartbreaking moments too, you know, like if a litter doesn't take and you have to tell the families, you know, that the female didn't get pregnant or 
um, yeah, there, there's definitely some hard times too that come with it. So you have to, you have to be able to stomach that, but it's definitely not easy. It's worthwhile in the end, but it's not an easy go getting there. When you're dealing with puppies that aren't doing well, when they're, let's say under about three weeks old, uh, you actually have to get up every two hours to feed them. And that is easy to do during the day when you're, when you're at home, but at night to walk down from our house down to the kennel building, especially in winter, it is a rough, rough sell and you're getting less sleep and you're doing your best for these little guys that are fighting and you're fighting for them. And those are always, that's where you have your rewarding moments like Scarlet, our dog, that Mm -hmm. was one of those dogs. But it's also heartbreaking at times too, because nature's very cruel and it is also very hard on your body, uh, not getting uh, proper sleep, assuming that you're doing well in, in nursing them along, you're still talking about maybe four to seven days of no sleep. We set our, our timers on our phones. The one literally did maybe six months or a year ago. I forget when. I think this was fall. It was every hour and 38 minutes. I was going out there to feed and check and make sure that they were hydrated and make sure they were still kicking um, to feed them or put them on to mom and hold them on to mom, whatever they needed. So um, and yeah, I work a full-time job too. So, and of course, Jeff also has the full-time training aspect on top of it. So you are very, very exhausted. There's definitely no, no rest when you have a very young litter. Um, even if they're all healthy, you're constantly going out there to check them. And obviously when the mother's in labor, you're going out there constantly and you pretty much live out there when you have um, pups on the way or very young pups. The mom keeps everything pretty clean up to about three to four weeks. And then I think that's the shock value for people that are trying to do it. their litter at their house. We have two full kennels. Actually, one of the kennels is now partitioned. So it's got two sections. So we can have an area for litters or an area that would have, uh, if we had to have dogs that need to be isolated. And then we've got one full just puppy kennel. But our kennels have concrete. They are uh, clean twice a day, bleached in pine salt. We have full septics. We have water. We have heat. We have air conditioning. I don't think people understand how hard of a uh, job it is and how smelly of a job it is if you're trying to do this in your house once the puppies get to a certain age. Like you said, we have we have facilities designed especially for raising dogs. So you have all solid surfaces, whether it's metal or concrete or whatever. Um, we have the septics so you can bleach down everything. You can scrub down everything. There are no soft surfaces in our kennels whatsoever. No plastic, no cloth, nothing like that that can harbor germs and bacteria. I can't even imagine trying to do it in like your living room or your basement and like say a plastic wading pool. That's, that's, that's a disgusting thought. The I can't imagine that we actually did our first couple of litters in our attached garage to uh, the house no. and the smell in the house was <laughs> no. not well. Uh, you, that was, that was back before, before you came when I, I had my starter wife. Um, it, it, uh, the, the, the smell is something that is just, you can't explain it. And you, you have that when you have a kennel, you go out in the morning and it is very messy but we have septic, so within 15 minutes, it smells like pine salt. But if it's in your house, you are in for quite the surprise of how much poop that a oh, litter yeah. of 10 puppies makes. It's insane. It's, yeah, it's, it's gross. Once um, mom can't clean up after them entirely by herself anymore and the humans have to step in, it's very messy. 
But that is the life of a, of a dog breeder and a life of a, a trainer. We also train dogs. Uh, we've got, again, two kennels. One is our trainee boarding kennel. Uh, the other is our, our puppy kennel. And uh, we train dogs for hunting. We train dogs for obedience. It is our customers are second to none. And it is so, we are so blessed to have these wonderful people that do business with us because they're fun to be around. A lot of them have become personal friends. And it is just it's something that I guess now that I'm not doing the TV show, I get to enjoy more as opposed to trying to basically keep up and not drown because of the uh, the amount of work that I have. Relationships. Not that we didn't before, because we still have people who literally come back for their second dog from us, you know, whose dog was 10, 12 years old and has passed, and now they've come back. So we always do like to keep in touch, but now we can actually spend more time and, you know, have more quality relationships with our dog customers, and they are like family. So now we're going to go to our next section, which is every podcast, we're going to take a question or two that's sent to us by our listeners. Uh, this one came to us through our Facebook Live. We have Sporting Dog Adventures on Facebook. We do Facebook Lives there as well, which I believe will probably end up doing a podcast that'll be more of a question and answer uh, in uh, correspondence with the, the Facebook Live at the same time. But the question I got was, uh, the gentleman has a one-year-old black lab. He says he's working on steadiness, marking, noise and call conditioning, and he's also working on retrieving through obstacles. He asked me what the three things he should work on for hit with his dog before season starts. I then asked if he had done force fetch or e-collar conditioning. And he said, no, that he actually wanted to work uh, possibly with e-collar uh, work with the dog. So I guess at that point, it gave me what he does need to work on. He wanted three things. The three things are something he should have started right when he started training, and that is building the base of your dog. You're building the foundation of your training. Think of it as a house. You have to build your foundation so you can build up. As you build up, if you don't build the foundation, it starts to come tumbling down, which is kind of sounds like the point that he's at. He's struggling with some stuff. So the way to look at it as the foundation of your dog training is force fetch, e-collar conditioning, and your obedience and strict obedience. You're going to start out working on your force fetch and your obedience the first week. You're going to work on that stuff for a week or two, and then you're going to start working on your e-collar conditioning as well as all of, as the other two. As you work on this stuff, it's going to take you about six weeks to get your dog to the point where they're under control. You have your obedience, you're reinforcing it with the e-collar, and you are you are uh, eventually reinforcing it, uh, reinforcing your, your uh, force fetch or your retrieving with your e-collar. You're going to get to that point when you have your dog biddable and under control, and that's when you're going to go out to the field. Too often, people want to run out to the field to do the quote-unquote cool things, and they don't realize that we don't train dogs to hunt. We train dogs to hunt for us. And that is what they need to realize so that they're building the space, they're getting their dog ready so they're under control, and then taking them into the field. From there, you give them all their experiences and you get them ready so that they are really dialed in for hunting season. So again, the three things that I would work on would be force fetch, your e-collar conditioning, and e-collar reinforcement along with your obedience as your third. Work on those three now. So basically take a step back in your training and go back to the beginning and then revisit 
the success that you've had while you're working with your dog on introduction into the field. That's going to do it for this week's show. I do want to thank you guys for stopping by and listening to us and have a great day. Sporting dog adventures, run, boy, run. Everything you need is here.